Hello, good evening. Welcome to all of you, some of you coming in from uh, distant lands and some of you just right around the corner here in Santa Cruz. So it's, it's good to see you all on this crisp autumn evening. Uh, you know, this is the time of year when um, the days start getting shorter and the air starts getting colder as we as as autumn is deepening. And um, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that starts getting a little anxious when the darkness comes. Uh, and many of us have this feeling and it's it's nothing new, actually. Um, people for a long time have had some anxiety when the dark and the cold starts to come. And I think that's why we have lots of ceremonies and festivals uh, this time of year that involve candles and light and fires and getting together with friends. It's also uh, said to be the time of year in many traditions when the veil between the worlds is the most thin. The veil between the what we call life and what we call death, the afterlife, they say the veil is most thin this time of year. And so um, that was something that was celebrated by the Celtic ancestors in a ceremony called, or a celebration called Samain, which uh, was a time to honor the darkness and face our fears and honor our ancestors. And this is actually the original pagan holiday that um, we've evolved into Halloween. And it's not unlike the uh, Catholic holiday just right after Halloween of All Souls Day or El Dia de los Muertos in the Spanish speaking countries when people uh, honor their ancestors. And, um, you know, I know when I was in Mexico, Around that time, it was amazing. The, uh, the, the, and in Hungary too, my own uh, relatives and ancestors go to the cemeteries on All Souls Day at night with candles and have feasts. It's not uh, considered morbid or frightening at all. People go and talk with their ancestors and bring them food and basically have parties in the cemeteries. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, I know. Some of us don't like Halloween. I know Gene doesn't like Halloween. He finds it to be a really terrifying time. And then, you know, lots of little kids are just so excited that they're going to be able to go out trick-or-treating this year. So a lot of different kinds of energies and um, uh, ways this time of year that people work with the darkness and work with the fear and work with ancestors um, and Buddhist cultures also have ceremonies this time of year uh, when the ancestors are honored. And in particular, uh, we have ceremonies where we feed the hungry ghosts. And that is actually what I would like to speak about this evening. But just a little bit of background, uh, the ancient Chinese uh, Buddhist cultures celebrated this holiday when the ancestors were honored and fed uh, on the seventh lunar month. And then in, the, in Japan and in the Japanese American temples here in America, that is celebrated in July on um, Urabone or Obon. Maybe you've heard of that time. 
here in Santa Cruz uh, Zen Center and many Zen centers around the United States, we kind of merge uh, what we call Sajiki with Halloween. And up until the pandemic, every year around this time, we made a big, beautiful altar uh, with uh, abundant food and fruit and sweets. And we had this sort of wild ceremony where we would have our instruments and we would call the hungry ghosts and we would offer them food. And um, it was our Sajiki ceremony. And I'm sure we'll have it again at, at some point when we can get together back in the Zendo. In fact, I just posted my blog. I'm, I'm the person uh, doing the blog this month. And I just posted a lovely picture of one of Kokyo's Sajiki altars as the photograph that accompanies the blog. So I want to focus in on uh, first uh, this concept of uh, the hungry ghosts, which is a part of many of the Buddhist uh, Sajiki or ancestor honoring ceremonies this time of year. There's a story, uh, it, uh, one of the original stories where the hungry ghosts are first mentioned, which goes all the way back to Buddha. And uh, apparently a disciple of the Buddha, Moga, Mogalana, if I'm saying that right, Mogalana, was tormented by dreams of his recently departed mother. He just couldn't sleep because he just kept having these nightmares about, about his mom. She was suffering in this world where she could neither eat nor drink. And so this disciple went to the Buddha and said, how can I be relieved of this torment? And Buddha said, ah, you're seeing the suffering of the world of the hungry ghosts. Um, and so he advised Mogalana to make offerings to his mother in uh, whatever food she could most easily accept and digest. And he said to do this when the monks were doing their monthly ceremony of confession, the, the, or the full moon ceremony that we do every month, that Buddhists do all over the world on the full moon in which we atone for our uh, transgressions and we honor our ancestors and renew our vows. So he said, that's the time of year during that ceremony is when you should make these offerings of food for your mother to help relieve her suffering in her um, and yours. So this plight of the hungry ghosts, which are often depicted as um, they have tiny little skinny necks and, they, and they, they can't get food down through their necks. And so they have these big bloated bellies in a lot of the uh, old pictures. They're kind of scary. It's a scary image. And when I was just looking around a little bit, um, I just went to Wikipedia and looked up hungry ghosts. It was kind of interesting because um, there's uh, different interpretations of them in the different Buddhist uh, traditions. So in the Chinese and the Vietnamese Buddhism, the hungry ghosts are um, the ghosts of ancestors uh, who weren't given sufficient offerings by their living relatives. That's the understanding in the Chinese and the Vietnamese traditions, which is very similar. I don't know if any of you saw that delightful Pixar movie called Coco. Raise your hand if you happened to see Coco. Few of you did. I really, really recommend it. It's a spectacular movie. It, it's an animated film, but it's actually a film for, for all ages. And that's exactly the 
the, one of the main arcs of the story of the movie Coco is uh, the Mexican Day of the Dead ceremony. And it's from the perspective of the ghosts, the ancestors who start disappearing when their living ancestors forget about them. So um, they need us to remember them. They need us to keep their photographs and they need us to keep their memories alive or they begin to disappear. So that's the Chinese Vietnamese understanding. The Tibetan Buddhists, I think that's the one that we're kind of closest to here because uh, those are the ones that have the mouths, that the tiny mouths and the big stomachs. And they say that it's a metaphor for people trying to fulfill their illusory desires. And then the Japanese hungry ghosts are considered jealous or greedy people who are being punished for their moral vices. So there's quite an array of uh, origin stories of the hungry ghosts. Mm -hmm. And therefore I feel like I can take the liberty of picking the one that makes the most sense to me and making it contemporary. And that is this idea, this feeling of yearning and never being able to be satisfied. And I think this is something that many of us, especially in this Western culture here, uh, suffer deeply from this inability to be satisfied and this yearning, 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 grasping, grasping, trying to find something outside that can fill and nourish us uh, and never being able to do that. This is at the heart of addiction. I don't know how many of you have struggled with addiction. I know I have, and uh, there's many different kinds of addictions. There are, of course, substance um, addictions. There's also addictions to consumer goods. There's addiction to um, experiences uh, and uh, behaviors or any other kind of way that we grasp and grasp and try to get nourished and we just can't get nourished. Um, you know, the, in the Tibetan tradition, they say that this is a metaphor for futilely trying to fulfill our illusory physical desires. That's one way of looking at it, but I actually think that there's another angle to consider here, uh, that uh, desires are not necessarily illusory. Desires can be wholesome. Um, it is actually part of our biological well-being that we desire uh, food, drink, rest, love, connection. These are wholesome desires. The biological urge for these things is what keeps us alive as, as human beings and as living beings. So I don't think in my understanding that it's desire per se that's the problem. I think the problem here is this um, inability to be satisfied. It's the throat that is so thin that even there's pictures of these uh, hungry ghosts with their tiny throats and their big bellies sitting at tables laden with rich food and wonderful, wonderful offerings, but they, they can't fit it down their throat. So there they are sitting in abundance, starving. So I see this as a very, very strong, potent metaphor for our 
culture and many of our, uh, our sufferings. Now, I'm not talking here about um, people who don't have access to resources. You know, there's such a thing as legitimate hunger. <laughs> you know, a person who doesn't have enough food and who's desiring hunger is not a hungry ghost. They're a, a being that's trying to be nourished um, in a wholesome way. So I'm talking about those of us who actually have access to abundance, who have access to resources, but who don't know how to take it in and who don't know how to be satisfied. So the, the liberation in this way of thinking about the hungry ghosts is to learn how to turn towards these sources of nourishment and to how to actually um, let it in and let ourselves be satisfied. Oh, this is enough. I have enough. I have enough things. I have enough love. I'm satisfied. You know, if all of us were satisfied, the American economy would tank because it's all based on dissatisfaction. It's all based on you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not sexy enough. You're too old. You're too sick. You're whatever. You know, I mean, I get these deluges now of spam. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's happening to you. I can't believe all the spam I get. And it's all this, oh, it's so sad. It's like all these ways of, you know, the suffering of they're trying to sell people products to relieve their suffering. So this is a radical act, the act of taking in nourishment, allowing ourselves to be penetrated by this satisfaction and to actually be grateful. Thank you. I'm satisfied. I have enough. And we can see this too in, in culture where people who have lots of money and lots of resources can be some of the worst hungry ghosts. Always wanting more, always more money. Another billion. Oh, five billion's not enough. I need 20 billion. I need a trillion, you know? Whereas there's very humble people with very little resources who are extremely satisfied because they know how to appreciate what they have. So I find this to be very, very potent uh, message this time of year of this hungry ghost teaching that the Sajiki ceremony um, offers us as something that we can consider as part of our practice. And then the second part of the Sangri Ghost story that I think is also something that I find very um, inspiring is going back to the story of Buddha and his disciple, um, let's forget the name, excuse me, let me find it again, uh, Mogadalana. Now remember uh, Buddha's counsel to Mogadalana was, ah, you know, the way to relieve your suffering is to make offerings of nourishment to your mother during the time when the monks are atoning and confessing. So uh, a way to think about this, I, I think, and, and I was reading a little bit online and also found um, uh, 
uh, Reverend Carlson from Kyogen, I think his name is Carlson from Oregon, who was also uh, kind of pursuing this line. And I thought it, it's very related to what we've been talking about in the class and that I know Jean has been talking about is, um, you know, sometimes our suffering comes through our ancestors. Um, Beata was talking about this in class of this, um, you know, the, the trauma, uh, the, the inheritance of trauma that gets passed on sometimes through our, 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 our lineages, um, unconscious behavior that gets passed on as, as physical trauma. And of course, many of us have also been studying this with regard to racism in our culture. So to learn how to liberate our suffering of our ancestral suffering is also um, a very, very powerful um, way that we can look at this, this time of year. Through our own repentance and forgiveness, we can liberate our ancestors. You know, a lot of them did the best they could with what they had. And now we have an opportunity if we've somehow in this life learned something about liberation, whether through our Buddhist practice or through studying, like Beata was talking about, how she had this insight recently about um, that she, she always felt like she wasn't safe based on her, back, her body, her trauma in her body. And she was always trying, trying, trying to be safe. And she realized, ah, when she studied, started to study neuropsychology, she learned through what she's teaching us is called neuroperception, that she could actually start noticing, actually my body is safe. And that this no longer trying to be safe, but noticing when her body is safe. This is an example, like I talked about a few weeks ago of saving the body in this life, this body, which is the fruit of many lives. So if you have some kind of suffering that comes through your ancestor lineage, you could, for example, and I'm not saying you should, because sometimes this is impossible to do, but I do know people who've done it. You can forgive your ancestor. You know, you can forgive an immediate ancestor that is one that you struggled with, or you could forgive a longer lineage of ancestors. You know, if you're part of a, you know, us white people here in America, many, many people in white people in America have ancestors that go back to being people who enslaved and sold other human beings or who participated in genocide or war activity. And we can forgive our ancestors or we can forgive ourselves, <laughs> you know? We can forgive ourselves as well. So just thinking about this beautiful offering of the Buddha saying to his disciple, during that full moon ceremony, feed your mother. You know, feed, feed our mothers, feed our fathers, feed our grandfathers, our grandmothers. Feed, feed those people in the past who were misguided, who passed things on that were really harmful. And that's another opportunity that we have here at this time um, of honoring our, our ancestors. Um, there was a lot of stuff online that I didn't want to get into because I didn't want to make this a talk about Halloween. <laughs> but it is kind of interesting to consider, you know, what's come through as Halloween of these spooky images and, and you know, ghosts and goblins and all those kinds of things. In a way, it's 
if we just take one little tiny step back, I think we can see this as not so different from what, what we're talking about here or what I'm talking about here. It's just an opportunity, all those things, those spooky things, those spooky things in our lives, you know, our fear of the dark, our fear of death, our fear of our, our sadness about things that have come through. It's kind of a, 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 a wish to liberate ourselves from it and maybe even have some fun with it or um, just release ourselves of, of being uh, caught and controlled and, and by that, by all those demons and spirits. Um, Jean's been talking a lot, you know, about um, not being blind to cause and effect. And um, also talking about the Ehe Koso Hotsugonon. And of course, there's that beautiful line in there quietly study these causes and conditions as this practice is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. So whatever way makes sense to you, if it does, to study your own causes and conditions uh, in service of liberating ourselves in this life and liberating our ancestors who might be wandering around as hungry ghosts yearning for liberation, what kindness we can offer them if we, um, if we create altars for them and if we offer them food and if we let them know that um, we, we forgive them. So, um, because when we can let go and release our grasping, um, then we become able to turn towards others and support and nourish uh, other beings rather than staying stuck in the endless yearning of our own suffering. In the um, Sajiki ceremony, we chant the gate of sweet dew. And I want to read it to you. It's a beautiful beautiful chant. I'll read it as a poem. And it's, it's basically saying, you know, that if, if, if we can do this, if we can make these offerings, then we're actually really um, offering the teaching. It's not just food we're talking about here. And it's not just forgiveness. And it's not just liberation. All of those things, maybe we could say, we're offering the Dharma to all beings with this practice. So um, giving rise to the awakened mind, we unconditionally offer a bowl of pure food to all the hungry ghosts in every land, to the farthest reaches of vast emptiness in the 10 directions, including every atom throughout the entire Dharma realm. We invite all our departed ancestors Going back to ancient times, the spirits dwelling in mountains, rivers, and earth, as well as demonic spirits of the untamed wilderness to come and gather here. Now, with deep sympathy, we offer food to all of you, sincerely hoping that you will each accept this food. <laughs> Let me pause there. Please, oh deluded ancestor of mine, will you accept this food? 
Will you let yourself be nourished so that I may be released? <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, excuse me for my digression. Now with deep sympathy, we offer food to all of you, sincerely hoping that you will each accept this food and turn it over, making offerings to Buddhas, sages, and all sentient beings throughout the vast emptiness of the universe so that you and the many sentient beings will be satisfied. Moreover, we sincerely wish that your bodies be conveyed by these mantrams and food so that you may depart from suffering. Be liberated and find birth in heaven and receive joy. In accord with your intentions, may you travel freely through the pure lands in the 10 directions and arouse awakened mind, practicing the awakened mind and in the future become a Buddha without regressing. We entreat those who have previously attained the way since ancient times to vow to realize liberation together with all beings. I'll pause here. That's not unlike that phrase in Ehe Kosu Hotsukon Mon, where it says Buddhas of ancestors of old, whereas we, we in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. And that because they extend their compassion to us, we are able to awaken and attain Buddhahood. So this ability to extend compassion through time is a very potent part of our Buddhist practice as expressed by these ancient teachings. So I'll return to the gate of sweet dew. We entreat those who have previously attained the way since ancient times to vow to realize liberation together with all beings. Day and night constantly protect us so that our vows will be fulfilled. We offer food to beings throughout the Dharma realm so that every being will equally receive this fortunate offering. Again, pausing a moment to appreciate the generosity and power of this teaching. Offering food, quote unquote, offering nourishment, offering encouragement, offering love, offering the Dharma to beings throughout the Dharma realm so everybody can equally receive this fortunate offering. Whatever virtue and merit this produces, we completely transfer and dedicate to the unsurpassed awakening with total clarity and wisdom of the whole Dharma realm of true reality. So this is not about gaining individual merit. Whatever merit and whatever virtue it produces by our engaging in this activity, we turn it over and we dedicate it to the awakening of all, that they all may speedily attain Buddhahood without incurring any other destinies. May all sentient beings of the Dharma realm take advantage of this teaching <laughs> to quickly attain Buddhahood. So that's a kind of slowed down and annotated version of the Gate of Sweet Dew, which I believe is, is it still chanted on Thursday night? When? Uh -huh. We haven't chanted it for a while. Okay. Uh, but it's in our chant books. Yeah. Online. Yeah, so it's in the chant book. Uh, it's not quite as well known as some of our other chants, but I think that it's a, a 
a really, really beautiful teaching. So um, thank you for uh, indulging my sharing it with you. Um, I don't really have any more that I want to say, but I think this is a subject that we might want to explore together and discuss. So I'll go ahead and bring this part of the talk to a close, and then um, we'll have some announcements. And then please stick around if you'd like to talk about any of the uh, aspects that I've been bringing up, the hungry ghosts, the endless yearning, uh, ancestors, forgiving ancestors, spooky things, uh, how we handle the darkness, uh, any, any and all of such things. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'd love to hang out with you for a while. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. <laughs>